We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right, guys, welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast today with myself, uh, Mark Crosswood, and Scott Fawcett. And we've got a very special guest again with us today. Now, we, do, we don't have any Lou today. Lou can't make today's filming, but he's here uh, in Forts, and he's seen the questions and agrees with all the questions, Scott. We've got a lot of questions for our special guests. So we've got Will Zalatoris today, who has enjoyed um, five top ten finishes in the 2021 season. He's tied sixth US Open. Uh, is his, probably is his best finish uh, since turning pro in 2018. So really excited to talk to Will today. Should be a fun episode. And we're going to be throwing uh, questions that we've got from our Twitter audience at Will and see what he comes up with. Welcome, Will. Thanks for your time. Welcome and uh, welcome to the Hack It Out Golf podcast. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Scott. Looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been an amazing start to your pro season and tw- the 2021 season's going pretty fantastically well, is it not? Yeah, it's been fun. Um, no progression is ever steady, but it felt has kind of felt like progressively I've been, uh, you know, a week in, week out, I'm kind of turning these events that I might have missed a cut a year ago and turn them into top 20s. And, um, you know, it's nice to have five top 10s and the first 12 starts this year so just keep on doing what we're doing yeah and us open tied sixth how did that how was that did you enjoy it that was at was that Wingfoot? was that one yeah it was yeah i mean brutal golf course i mean what you saw was what you get i mean hit it down 25 yard wide fairways and basically just go ahead and ship it out there and hopefully a few of those found the short grass so that was a lot of fun and obviously to kind of put it all together and that was the uh kind of the really got me to the pga tour yeah yeah absolutely amazing finish so scott i'll throw it over to you because i know you've got the questions loaded from twitter uh what are we starting with today perfect well we're going to start with one from carly golfs and actually i thought this was a really interesting question thanks so much about decade and proper course management is all psychology but the question was how can a player simultaneously plan for variance and commit to a specific shot so to me, that question means like, that's a great question. You know, you're going to miss a lot of shots, but how do you commit? Well, I think it frees you up. I mean, you know, if I'm standing on a hole and I've got a pin that's four off of an edge and our decade number is seven and I'm aiming three yards, right. I know mathematically I'm aiming at the perfect spot. And if anything, that frees me up. I mean, 
there's going to be, we've talked about this, how there's days where, you know, you're going to keep on hitting them a couple yards off your target line. Then there's going to be days where, you know, you end up knocking a couple close and you look like a genius and, oh my God, I hit it so good today. It's like, well, actually you pulled four golf shots left and pushed three of them right and you hit them within five feet. Well, congratulations. You're now plus five strokes in approach and you look like a genius, but you weren't aiming at the flag. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I remember we talked about this actually when Tiger at Memorial um, I literally, I think I called you 30 minutes after this was a couple years ago when he said that he kept missing shots on the opposite sides of flag sticks and that he was aiming at middle. He kept basically aiming at the middle of the green and kept missing it on opposite sides. And then he went out the next day and said he flushed it and just hit everything in the middle of the green and was like, oh, I just didn't give myself any looks, but I kept hitting good golf shots. And I'm like, holy crap. Tigers literally saying decade without decade. So, <laughs> well, but yeah, honestly, no, your, yeah. your U.S. Open experience, you know, you had a hole in one in the first round and then an almost hole in one in the first round. And obviously, Sean Martin, shout out, Sean, you know, throws out on Twitter, Will Zalas just had a hole in one. And all Scott Fawcett will want to talk about is that he wasn't aiming at the flag. And so, naturally, I text you, what was your target? Yeah, it was four yards right and two yards short because it was 162. And then it was like 24 and four and the pin, the green kind of, it got a little uh, narrow on that back left corner. And I had a plus one written on that left side. And so just two yards, right. And a couple yards short and, or three yards, right. Two yards short. And, Oh, Hey, look like a genius. Just pulled a nine iron 15 feet and one in the hole. <laughs> well, but then tell me about like then a couple of holes later, what was the hole that it bounced off the flag? I mean, it's seriously been insane to have, it's insane to have a hole in one in US open having yeah. two would have been ridiculous, but like, what was that shot? Cause I feel that like it was... didn't just nick the flag. Wasn't it kind of better than the actual hole in one? Yeah, it was dead center. I didn't realize it though. Cause I just saw it and I was like, Oh, I mean, maybe it just went around the hole or whatever, but it basically hit dead center of the flag stick. That one was like two twenty. Um, and that, I mean, that one just very U.S. open. I mean, that the green's probably 35 paces deep and you've got to get it past 20 just to keep it on the front edge. Right. Um, and I think, so 220, I hit six iron, 210. I remember it being a little downwind. It was six off the left. So I think we had like 17 or 18 yards. I'm trying to remember these off the top of my head, but I remember that it was narrow enough to where literally the tolerance that normally you're given with decade, I just had to split it right down the middle and just go dead center. And I think I, you know, I basically hit that six iron carried it to 15. And I guess technically I pulled it three yards left and caught a nice slope and hit the flag stick dead center. And then I had two feet, but that day was the best ball. That, that's the part that's funny is it's like, I say it's the best ball striking day of my, of probably my career. Cause I've got the hole in one, almost hole in one and then 17 and 18 I almost hole out wedges on top of that and that there was just kind of like I mean where are you aiming on a lot of these I was like the only one that I was aiming right at the flag was 18 because the pin was basically dead metal well and again yeah. that's people a lot of these questions coming in are obviously about like have you had that pinch yourself moment like nobody believes in you on this planet more than me probably even yourself and parents included and even I'm like you gotta be kidding me like I thought you're gonna do well and it's funny because when I see some other young players do well I don't know them so intimately so it just doesn't seem crazy but for you it seems crazy we've talked about this a lot like how have you handled all of this I mean I think it's just I mean we've talked about the ups and downs and I mean we've talked 
really about my golf game for over a decade now. And I mean, we've gone through the ups and downs. The, um, and I think if anything, it, it's just having a lot of gratitude just because it's like, you know, two and a half, I guess two years ago, I was still doing Monday qualifiers on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, you know, I think it's, it's kind of wild to think that last year, after COVID, we were told that the Corn Ferry Tour is going to be a two-year season. And it was a bummer that, hey, you're probably going to have to go out and win three times to be on the PGA Tour this fall. And that's the only way how you're going to be able to go about it, um, unless you go Monday qualify or something. Or, you know, like it's going to take – it's probably going to be your one-year process is now going to be two. And basically, we were given – or the top ten guys on the Corn Ferry Tour given a spot in the U.S. Open. And <clears> – <throat> had COVID not happened, I probably wouldn't have even tried to qualify for the open. And wow. I end I end up, well, just cause it takes a week away from the corn Ferry tour and yeah, every yeah. single week counts to try to get your card and finish top 25. That's interesting. And, yeah. and so it was a bummer at first. And then all of a sudden you get a spot in the open that I took advantage of it and had a couple more top tens and turned that into special temporary status. So it's a lot of gratitude. I mean, it's a lot of. Like, it's crazy how it all worked out. Yeah, it's it's, it's like so world aligning, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. real. Yeah, so that's why to me, it's like, yeah. I mean, if you had your pitch yourself moment, I'm like, yeah, kind of playing in the U.S. Open was a pitch yourself moment because, I mean, I didn't realize that it was gonna get me to where I am today, but that was, you know, it's it's very crazy to think through all the ups and downs emotionally over the last year and a half. And granted, it's been a hell of a lot more ups and downs, but in terms of getting to the PGA tour, I mean, I thought it was going to be, you know, plan A or B and it turned into being like plan D. I mean, plan, not even non-existent. Yeah. yeah plan yeah. non-existent. So. Well, I mean, I was concerned, honestly, when I heard that they were going to give the top 10 guys, you know, the opposite fields events. And I'm just like, Oh, I mean, it sounds great on paper, but now you're playing both tours. It's, it would be extremely easy to play, to take all your starts because it'd be crazy not to, but to play your way down to like 14th on the corn fairy money list and not get your special, like it's, it's a tough road that the other guys that are still on the corn fairy that are going to be taking their stock starts in both places. And so it is, it's just unbelievable how it all worked out. And it, it is crazy that what seemed like a negative at first is like, <clears throat> the greatest outcome possible. Um, yeah. I mean, Will's turned it into a positive, hasn't it? And that's no the doubt. thing, isn't it? His actions is what turned, I mean, it's an opportunity that you can't, you know, you can't deny, but to take advantage of it uh, is not only, I know you say you feel grateful, but you should feel immensely proud, which I'm sure you do as well, because it's an amazing achievement what he's done, isn't it? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I, I think, you know, on top of that, you know, the example I could give you was almost a year to the date I was staying in the exact same hotel playing in a corn fairy event in Sarasota. And then a year later, I'm playing in a WGC event staying in the exact same <laughs> hotel. Like, <laughs> I think about, 
and think about everything that happened in between that. That that was to me the point where it was just like, oh, okay. I, I mean, well, and to be honest with you, it's a time where the world is struggling as well, isn't it? I mean, COVID has been horrendous for everyone, and it's actually, I mean, for the positives that you can draw from such a horrendous thing. But I mean, it's actually for you, it's given you an opportunity that you have taken advantage of. It's quite an amazing story, actually. It's been fun. Well, that's, yeah, that's kind of totally. what I've talked about, too, is I don't know if it's why, but, you know, I obviously went up to the U.S. Open when you qualified at Shinnecock that first time and, and checked it all out and everything. And obviously playing in the U.S. Open is amazing, it's, I, I, but I feel like I discredited it simply because I played in it once, and I know I just got hot for 36 holes. But that's what we've talked about. I'm like, they're actually inviting you to play in the WGC. So like you say, you're staying in the same hotel, but it's like, I just can't believe, like, they're actually, you are – included in that because of your play you know it was great to watch you play in the us open that first time but you got the match play next week tell me like let's go right into that how do you how do you prepare and think about match play you've seemed to have had success at least once in a match play event (laughs) (laughs) just yeah probably gonna play golf with martin flores on thursday and go get a little uh match play in against them so yeah i mean that's something that's gonna be fun i mean i think probably one of my favorite conversations that we've had was actually like how to to manage yourself around a golf course with you know somebody knocks one in tight and then in match play obviously it's like you know this guy's probably you know say if he knocks one into a gimme range it's like well do i go right at it or whatever it's like no you still take your tolerance like it is what it is i mean maybe you shift it in a, a yard or two but i just think that that's stuff that we've talked about in depth through walker cups u.s juniors u.s ams and um I love match play, so it'll be fun. It's fun because I've actually reviewed some of the the two plus two, the poker thread that I wrote, the Texas State Am to the U.S. Junior, and going through some of it because, again, even for me, a lot of this was an accident. I had done a lot of math, but still, like implementing it out there. And I came across one of our matches um, on the ninth hole. We thought some guy had stuck it in there close. I don't remember which one it was, and so we did do what I now teach against. We did get more aggressive. And you put it, you hit a pretty good shot and it bounced down into the front right bunker. And by the time we got up there, the guy's shot was actually like eight feet, whereas we thought it was three because the way it was up on a little bit of a plateau and you hacked it out outside of him, and we wound up just giving it to him. And that was kind of one of the points where it's like, if we actually still had gone with the correct target, your little weak flare to the right, you probably actually would have stuffed it inside of the guy. But because we actually tried to get more aggressive, it it didn't pan out. I mean, to, to that exact point we learned our lesson the 36 hole of the u.s junior like walk us through through that like we're, we're three up with four to play and tell us what happened yeah i mean I, davis riley and i lived together over the past or i guess is it for a little over a year and we've actually talked about that match a lot just because it was so fun i mean i think he shot three or four under i think i shot like seven or eight under i mean it, it was ridiculously good golf but i went on a little bit of a tear and got him three up with five to play and uh he pull hooked his tee shot left kind of underneath the tree and some thick bermuda we had three up the middle of the fairway and you know i'm naturally assume the worst and hope for the best and i'm thinking yeah maybe he could run something up there and you know we're we're in the driver's seat for sure but he hits this kind of low burning hook underneath the tree and lands perfectly on the upslope and goes to 15 feet and all of a sudden it's like well you know the advantage is gone and again I mean we could I'm not afraid to admit it I mean we had 119 and I want to say we were probably aiming 10 feet right of this flag because there's a massive fall off on the left side and 
I pulled it nine and a half feet and took a one hop and one in the hole. And yeah. n- now we're four up with four to play and ended up, you know, lock, winning the U.S. Junior that way. So it's just kind of funny how, you know, he ends up hitting a pretty damn good shot and puts us That's in a damn situation good. where it's like, yeah, where it's like he's got a very good look at birdie. It's like, well, how does that change our target? Well, it doesn't. And then all of a sudden I pull one to 10 feet left and bounces in the hole. It's kind so, of like a stuck little slingy sand wedge that just – and it landed with a ton of sides. Then that thing hopped like three feet left right in the hole. That I mean, that shot was for sure going off the green left with that false edge. And it is just incredible. That, again, winning requires luck. All this was born yeah. from watching that from the spe- from, from the caddy bib. Like, you got to be kidding me with this stuff. But that's what it takes to win, ultimately. The, the, the patience required to wait that out. All right, let's move on to J.J. Colleen, the West Texas driving range pro. This was actually <laughs> kind of a funny question. Bryson outweighs you by 147 pounds. In all fairness, you've put on 30 pounds since, uh, since in the same time Bryson's put on 30 pounds. So maybe it's only 100. But do you feel any pressure to change your body to hit bombs and risk all of the success you're having? It's, you know, it's such a good question because doing, I mean, I know that Rory has talked about this where he said that basically he hadn't gone about it the right way. Bryson obviously it for about a year has been going after speed and working with bio, you know, working with Como and biomechanics guys. And the part that I, that I wrestle with that I think is very interesting is will Bryson sustain it? I have no idea, but if it shortens his career to say 10 years, but the guy wins 10 majors and, hundreds of you know 100 plus million dollars like do you think it's worth it yeah absolutely it's worth it i mean as opposed to him playing till he's 52 and maybe wins two or three majors like i mean (laughs) it's not even a comparison like in that terms it's worth it i think for me personally just seeing piece by piece me throwing on a little bit more weight and adding in a little bit more strength as opposed to just strength workouts, as opposed to just doing mobility and kind of maintaining where I'm at going for some more gains, I think has been interesting to see how my body takes it. How has it taken it? I mean, I've just played seven weeks in a row and, you know, I thought I played better golf at the end than I did at the start. Um, You know, that's where to me, I'm, it's interesting because it's like, yeah, I mean, I've got, I cruise a ball speed in a tournament at 182, 183. Yeah. You know, there are Which some courses. Where, I mean, that's up there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. I mean, I, I mean, driving distance wise, I think I'm in the top 20. Um, yeah. I think you were 37th for the year. I think I saw, was it maybe? But I yeah, mean, but I mean up there. that 180 ball speed, you're you're in the top, you know, 10 yeah. players. Period. Like it, it's I just think it's very interesting. I mean, I don't I don't have any plans to throw on 50 pounds of muscle and start playing a 40, well, I guess now 46 inch driver or whatever the heck the USGA is going to go to. Um, I I do think that there, there are plenty of times where, you know, I think Wingfoot this year definitely opened my eyes, you know, Bryson wins by six and his strokes gained off the tee was like, I mean, you would know the numbers better than me, but his margin of strokes gained off the tee was larger than his margin of victory. So you can solely credit, in theory, how he drove the golf ball that week to how he won the golf tournament. But, I mean, in, in the U.S. Open does throw up that result 
as well, doesn't it? Not to take away from the achievement of Bryson and what his driving did, as in the US Open is relatively famous for having a standout winner because the rest of the field struggles so much. I mean, that might be anecdotal. Scott, would you agree with that? I mean, you do see, you know, Keimer doing what he did round Pinehurst where everyone else is rolling off every green. It's the way those tournaments are set up. You get your head around it, you get the breaks, you get you can get scoring the way the US Open set up. It's it's such disaster golf for so many people where you get that one percent who does keep it on. Um, well, we'll, so is that like a bit dangerous of a sample size of one a little bit, isn't it? Like what he did was amazing, and the driving is still proving to be obviously massive a massive weapon. Um, but a part of that was the US Open as well, possibly. It is, but he just won again at, at Bay Hill, and he wanted you know, I mean there's just no getting around hitting it. I mean, he is 10 miles. Oh yeah, no, I agree with that. But as in Bay Hill was much more of an even competition, wasn't it? You know, it wasn't, that's what, that's what I'm saying with the U S open where you wouldn't just throw the toys out of the pram straight away. You would have to wait for that to settle a little bit, see if it actually is that biggest denominator in that event. No doubt. If Bay Hill had four, hole four more holes where guys wouldn't be hitting like there were a couple holes when i went down to six irons and five irons if there were four more holes that it would have been just eliminate them and make them drivers he would have won by four or five yeah i mean the fact that the fact that you that he's stuck with hitting when i'm hitting five irons he's hitting seven irons or whatever to the same spots yeah and then hitting the same clubs in like you know this could be arrogance and self-belief but it's like i think from 125 and 175 like i think i can get that competition no no yeah. no yeah, yeah but granted that guy when all of a sudden it comes down to playing a 7500 yard golf course and all of a sudden on 18 he's able to gouge out a wedge over the water from the yeah. right rough whereas <laughs> i'm hitting eight iron and almost hitting somebody in the forehead 50 yards offline left <laughs> like that's the difference but yeah. that's yeah. that's where at wingfoot on holes where I possibly am hitting seven irons and six irons and hoping I've got a good enough lie that I can run one up on the front edge. He's now you know, 30 yards up in front of me and he can hit nine iron. And that's where, that's where to me, it makes it worth it. Now, yep. that being said, how he's going about it, we'll see how long he's able to do it health wise. But obviously what he's done is it's, it's changing the game. But what's interesting? Yeah, totally, totally. What's... Also, sorry, Scott, don't you think, what do you think? Just, I know, I love Rory. He's a great player and he's a lovely guy and the rest of it. But I did feel like his statement was a little bit knee jerky. Does that, does that make sense? As in, he's honest, Rory, in his interviews. It's almost what he's thinking at that time, you know, because obviously lots of people jump on the bandwagon of him now saying, oh, he, he shouldn't have tried to hit it further. It wasn't right for him. It isn't right for him. Well, it what might not be right for you that week at Sawgrass, but we, you, you might need to give it a little bit more of a longer go. Or did you even go around about it the, the right way? What did you think of his statements, guys? You know, I, I found it a little bit knee jerky. What, what do you think? I, I mean, personally, the guy's got what four majors. Yeah. What, whatever he says, I'm just going to listen to it and yeah. see if I can learn anything <laughs> from it. He's about the most I, objective know. and reflective player in the game and he's so honest. It was a statement yes. to cuff, yes. but he's also one of the most just honest guys. And, and I do think, and I was on Travis Fulton's podcast yesterday, and we talked about this at length because I was like, I know I've talked about this already. Yes, I'm about to say Rory potentially went about this wrong because he said 
he just started trying to swing harder. And what Bryson and Como did, they built the infrastructure, they built the engine and then started upping the RPMs. And where I was going to go a second ago is I just think it's an interesting idea. I agree with Will. It'll be interesting to see if he can, Bryson can maintain this health wise, but who like Zach Blair, love messing with him. Zach Blair is swinging as hard as he can. Zach has just as much chance of hurting himself as Bryson does at his speed. They're maxing out their bodies. Zach just needs to change his body some. Will, after he had that great summer in 2014, because most people don't realize he actually then was third in the 312-person stroke play qualifying at the USAM, and he, he, he won a couple matches. And the only reason he lost in the round of 16 was because he ran into to Zach Olson, the hot hand. And I knew... I mean, because it's what I would have been thinking. Will's brain has to be turning like I'm ready to turn pro. And the one thing I said to him was, dude, just stay focused on college for a little bit. You need to put on at least 20 or 30 pounds for your body to be able to handle not the game, but the travel and the recovery and everything. And and where Will and I do have, you know, I've, I've switched definitely into more of a mentor role. He knows everything I know about the game already. And he, he does the same for me. I was a couple of years ago, I was out working with Stanford's golf team and I got a text from Will saying, you got to listen to Ferris's Tim Ferriss's new podcast with, with, uh, with uh, not Kobe with um, uh, James. How, I'm so stupid right now. LeBron James, where <laughs> he's talking about, he spends a million dollars a year on his body and yeah, yeah. will, you know, this is a, a, a great segue into a question because I, you know, I really do try to stay out of Will's way now. I don't want to give any conflicting advice. He's getting great stuff with Dr. Lard and Troy and Josh, and I'm just here as a friend for a sounding board. But Josh uh, or, or Will brought it up the other day. You know, I, I said, what are you doing for meditation? But more importantly, like, what are you doing to play seven weeks in a row? And you talked about rest and, you know, how does your day, your, your, your Monday through Wednesday look to, to be able to have the energy and stamina? Yeah. I mean, in college, I was terrible about it. You know, like I, I was kind of laughing and I was getting on one of the wake kids after they were playing in a tournament and it was the day after then they played 36, 18 Saturday, Sunday. And there's like 10 kids on the range, like practicing beating balls on Monday. And I'm like, I'm telling you, you're not getting better. Like there's just no, there's just no reason for you to be there right now. And, and (laughs) it was just kind of funny because I'm thinking back of me and I'd play three weeks in a row and have school and whatnot. And I just couldn't handle it. I mean, just go ahead and mark me down for three seventy fives in that third tournament, just because my body was out of it. I wasn't mature enough to have a sharp mindset. And, you know, whenever I got, you know, kind of moody on the golf course is typically when I was tired, it was just constant downward spiral. And now it's, it's at a point for me where I'd never do anything on Mondays. Mondays are typical travel, typically travel days. I'll probably just, if I do anything, it's honestly just a little bit of mobility, just kind of get some of the last, you know, four days of competitive golf out of my body. Um, what does that you know, mean? The seven, what does that mean? Yeah. What does it mean? Cause obviously I mean, it just, the Normatech, which is like, what does that recovery mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, recovery pump boots, foam rolling, um, a lot of active release stuff with, um, Damon, uh, um, just basically a lot of, uh, it's almost like the example I can give it to give is it's basically like doing yoga on Monday. Yep. I mean, Monday's just kind of a yoga day and Tuesdays are when I'll start kind of getting back in the gym and actually lift some weight. Um, I, over this stretch, I only played 18, 
on Tuesday, two out of the seven weeks. And then I played in two pro-ams on Wednesday. Um, both of them are only nine holes. Um, so, I mean, if the most I'm playing before a tournament is 27 holes. Tuesdays, I mean, I'll typically work with Josh or Troy for an hour. Um, if it's an hour each, great. If not, I'll do an hour Tuesday with one guy, an hour maybe Wednesday. But if I'm not playing in a pro-am on Wednesday, which that's going to change in the future, I'll start playing a lot more of them. Um, I mean, I've only – there were a couple days where I literally just went out and putt. Yeah, and yeah. I've, la- I've laughed at myself because I walk into the locker room, I grab my putter, and I throw on my golf shoes. And then I, like, literally just went and putted. And I was like, well, I – I don't know why I put my golf shoes on, but whatever. And then, you know, just kind of go back, you know, go back, take my shoes off and that's it for the day. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, you'll never see me grinding on anything for more than an hour, Monday through Wednesday. I just, you know, granted things have gone really well. So I don't want to say that, you know, I've, I've got it all figured out. I'm just in a really good place with my game and a really good headspace that, I just know that getting my rest is way more important than practicing. And I know that there's, you know, I think Tiger has said it a lot throughout his career and that, you know, if he showed up to a tournament and was working on something, he screwed up and his preparation was done at home. It was never done at a tournament. Now, granted, if I'm going to play seven weeks in a row, something bad's going to pop up here or there. I mean, it's just, you know, part of golf, but I never did anything more than, 45 minutes to an hour. I mean, the longest I hit balls in that seven week stretch was probably at WGC on Wednesday when I hit balls for probably 50 minutes. And that was it. Well, I think yeah. that's the misnomer of when, because I never really understood when great players like Tiger say, I try, I'm trying to peak for the majors. And I was always like, how are you organizing your practice? I really think that that's what they're actually saying is I'm trying to peak my energy. And that's yeah. really the one thing I was trying to get you to say was my energy is as important as my practice because the mini tour players out there, the, the, the corn fairy guys, they need to hear that the college players, as you said, for sure. Like you just feel like if you're not practicing, you're not getting better. And sometimes resting is getting better. This is the exact conversation we had with, with Austin Ernst recently, just about getting your rest is, is absolutely pivotal. And that's, you know, again, what you said to me was that you, as long as you can get a nap in on Monday and then play nine holes Tuesday and Wednesday, you're pretty good. And once you've got the satellites and the books, like it's just not that hard to learn a course really quick, trusting your rest more than anything. Yeah. I mean, I think actually here's a little bit of kind of a hot take, but I think that, you know, cause there's been John Rahm mentioned, you know, take getting rid of greens books. I think it's actually, I don't care. I, I mean, I use them. I think if we got rid of them, I don't think it changes much to how I go about getting ready for a tournament. I do think it is very interesting, though, that me looking at, you know, riding in a bunker at plus two or this fall off as a plus two or a plus one or whatever, and knowing the percentages on the approach shots, not putting, but the approach shots, and knowing that if I short some myself in this bunker, I've got a six percent slope downhill running away from me like that's a great reminder i but i just think it's kind of funny how i use greens books more for my approaches than i do for the putting and the only time i'm using it for the putting is if i'm torn on a read because we've talked about this where it's like 
you know, oh, I'm thinking left edge, oh, I'm thinking just outside, like same speed, both of them in theory should go in. You're trying to make the putt dead center. So that's why to me, it's like, okay, general direction, move on, go. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, but that's all exactly part of it. And what I was saying was the satellite books. That, I mean, yeah, yeah. What you're talking about is once we've turned the, the approach shot and the tee shot strategy into just a formula, it doesn't matter what's out there. You know why you've picked your target. And for those people who are listening, they don't, when he says the plus twos, that's part of decade where instead of just saying it's okay to miss it over here and it's bad to miss it over here, you rate it somewhere between negative two and three. And that's what allows you to get more aggressive or conservative based on the, uh, the challenges that the whole offers. Let's do this one because obviously I always talk about working it one way. And I say a million times, you're the best I've ever seen it hitting the balls aside from Fred couples. I've never seen anyone hit it more solid. And you're the guy that can do the nine box drill. And obviously just for the record, I'm dogmatic about one shape with the driver. I'm not as much so with the irons, but chasing bogeys asks, what percentage of the time do you hit your stock shot? What causes you to hit a different shape and what hole gives you your most trouble off the T and Y? How do you adjust for it? And I'll, I'll remind you that last one down the road, but what percentage of the time you hit your stock shot and what would cause you to hit a different shape? And what is your stock shot now with irons and drivers? Uh, driver would be probably about a five yard fade. Um, I, I mean, I've been playing that for probably the last four or five years. Um, you ever try to draw the driver? Unless I have a hundred yard wide fairway and the wind's down off my right, which <laughs> name another time when we have that. Um, but well, we need to get back to great old architecture with wide fairways and angles with the 18th St. Andrews to be a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like that's the part that, you know, like, like there's, if someone was had a vendetta against us with the one shot and they're out saying like, you know, Oh, Willie, he, he shapes it both ways when he's out playing. I'm like, if I'm going to hit a straight golf ball and I'm trying to hit something straight, the ball's going to turn both ways. I'm sorry. Like, it's just going to happen. Like, there's going to be plenty of times where I'm going to hit a high off the toe. It's going to gear effect out right, and it's going to hook back. Like, it just happens. But practicing, and I know that I've gotten this – Scott's gotten this beef a lot from people when, you know, people are posting me on the range hitting fades and draws with drivers, and they're like, what the hell is he doing? I thought he's a decade or whatever. I am doing it solely to keep my timing down. Because if I sit there and I hit five to 10 yard fades all day, my path is going to work so far left. All of a sudden, I'm going to try to hit something, you know, try to hit down on one and try to, or, you know, try to keep something under the wind or just hit my fade that just bring it down because of a lot of wind. And I'm going to come, you know, do something crazy. And all of a sudden, my swing's off. And so I always try to keep it honest. But on the golf course, if you ever see me hit a draw, it's probably because I hit it high in the toe. Or like we were joking about, I've got wind down off my right and I have a million yards wide and I'm just sending one as hard as I can. Well, that's just but, what's cool. that, that one you're talking about. People are, are showing you hitting draws and someone posted Morikawa too the other day. Well, Sessinghouse is like, what do you do to hit a draw? And Colin walks all the way through and people are like, what do you think of this? I'm like, it's a range. It's a range. It's a range. That's just yeah, not yeah. what they do. Again, with the iron. So let's let, – you just like Bubba, like everybody who's great at driving the golf ball, you pretty much mm -hmm. do the same thing over and over again. I do think it'd be interesting for Rory to just stop working it so much. JT did a great job with it this weekend. I, I don't think it's necessarily indicates that it would have gone, wouldn't have gone better without it, but let's talk about irons because that does allow some differences in trajectories and distance, control, yeah. whatever. How do you do that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the part that I think is kind of funny is for me personally is 
I always move the ball back, but dynamically with my swing, I have a lot of side tilt. So when I move the ball back with my tilt, it actually comes out like a neutral ball flight, but I just tend to hit down on it enough to where it just pierces. If I ever need a couple more yards out of something or I'm torn between clubs, um, I will put the ball in the back of my stance and I will hit probably just a baby draw. And I'm not, I don't have this path changes from ball. Yeah. It's the path. And that's not, I'm not sitting there trying. When I say draw, I'm talking like two yards. Yeah, it's a a fall to the left, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and that's the part that for me, I think is very funny. And I think that is what makes me such a good ball striker is that if I have a pin on the left side over the last year, I basically have kept my target far enough over to the middle of the green. But if I've needed a couple more yards or I think I needed – you know, torn between clubs, that draw has helped me get a couple more of those yards without swinging harder. But the go-to yeah. for sure is definitely kind of hitting a choke up, aim a couple yards left and hitting a little fade. But the part that I think is so funny about that is a lot of it's related to, to distance control in terms of how I shape it. If I want to take something off, I'm going to hit a little bit of the fade. If I want to hit it farther, I'm going to hit the draw. But they're both at the same speed. And I only very... I don't really vary a lot in terms of speed, but I also vary in terms of how long I grip the club or how far I take it back. But that's stuff that over the last 10 years, really, Scott and I have really talked about. And, you know, it's like when we talk about me working fades and draws and oh, he works a golf ball, like you'll laugh at how little I really do work it when you're watching yeah. me do it. And any times that I've hit it poorly over an extended stretch has been me trying to overdo stuff and really work it. And whenever that tends to happen is kind of when I hit a reset button and just say like, okay, we're going to, you know, we're not shaping the golf ball this week. We want to hit this stock shot all day long, get the reps back, get my timing back. And that's where all of a sudden you'll see me on the range doing a lot of, you know, one draw, one fade, one draw, one fade. And it's just me getting my timing back. But again, when I'm on the golf course irons, yeah, I'd maybe tend to work it a little, little bit, but we're talking small. I mean, Bubba, I played with him at WGC his draw cracks me up because the guy does not draw the golf ball. Like his draw literally is a fade that is flipped and goes straight to the moon, but does not draw. I mean, it is a fade that wants to draw, but it doesn't draw. It just falls a little bit to the left. It's just a unicorn uh, fingerprint. It really is amazing how it's just like, he can't explain how he does it. Just, like, just do it. I don't know. And he doesn't, that's the thing. And we've talked about this too, is you see him working the crazy hook wedges and whatnot, like driver, it is not work left or right. It is going, it is a fade all day long. He yeah, will aim. Yeah. I was really enjoying watching him on number 12, which is a drivable part four there. And straight shot, it's 290, but you can lay up literally 70 yards right of the pin, pin high. And he was aiming right of that and trying wow. to hit a cut and started it. He was like, oh, double cross. And it still cut like 35 yards. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, if you want to see a double cross, I could show you one real fast. <laughs> well, that's like, I mean, I've told this story before and I'm sure I've told it to you, but when I walked to practice round, obviously Ted Scott and I've been friends for a couple of years. When I walked that practice. He's such a good guy. Yeah. Oh, Ted's great. But when I walked that practice round with Bubba at Bay Hill, I just want to be quiet and observe. And he just walks straight out of the clubhouse, no practice balls. We get to 10 teams like, all right, stats nerd. What do we do here? I'm like, I'm to kind of get my feel here. It's a dog leg right. I know he's driven it up there just short of before. I'm like, what do you do here? And he's like, 
I start it right at those houses and I cut it 70 yards back in the fairway. I'm like, magic. I thought you'd just <laughs> need draw here. And he's like, I haven't drawn a driver in at least 10 years. And I was like, I had no idea. And the, the one shot with you that always comes to my mind, it's this paradox of choice that you also run into by having so many shots. And that first year, you know, Will won all those tournaments in 2014. He played in the collegiate showcase at Riviera. We played Riviera blind. He won that qualifier by four. So we get to play in the tournament and we're out there. It's either the first or the second round. We're out there in 15 fairway. And it was just the most perfect seven iron right in the middle of the green. The pin was on the right over the bunker and you were wanting to like flare this six iron. And I'm like, dude, it's just a perfect seven. And you know, I let you override it and you hit this perfect flary six iron. And I just remember when we got to the green, I'm like, isn't this the exact same place that a seven iron would have gone? And you're like, yeah, I guess it is. That's, we just make this game because the pin's on the right. I get it that it looks better falling that way, but it's also just not necessary. You're, at the time you were hitting kind of a slingy draw. It was just a perfect slingy seven iron for you, but you've got yeah. so many well, shots. I, <laughs> I, think, I think kind of a good sidebar to kind of end this question was actually when we had talked about my par five performance a couple of years ago, mm. where I, from like 175 to 225, my stats were great on approaches. Par threes, they were good. But then randomly on par fives, my scoring average was garbage. And we went back and looked at it, and I had to kind of think it through. And I kept trying to work stuff into flags, hit the big buttery high cut in there and lands like a butterfly with sore feet and goes to 10 feet and you make eagle. Like, just hit it to 40 feet or 50 feet and two putt and move on. Take your four, lower your scoring average because this year or that year was like four, eight, and I had I've been driving, was driving it great and just leaving a bunch of really bad leaves at short-sided bunkers, short-sided flop shots. And it's like, dude, just hit yourself to a bunch of 50, 60 footers. And, you know, the one that you end up do maybe miss hitting or, or at, you know, maybe you get the right number or whatever, or right wind, who cares? Like it ends up perfect. Eagle um, reads are always about 2% on reachable parts. Yeah. So it's basically yeah. like picking, a, a, you know, the ace of spades out of a deck of 52, like, Sure, it's yeah. going to happen, but it's probably going to happen from making a bomb than you actually hitting it close. No, I'd say the last part of that question was, uh, what shot do you not like or whatever? I think it's, for me, I it's kind of funny because I grew up on an into left to right range at Bent Tree. And I think it's funny that whenever I have the down off my left, because I love hitting that cut, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it can, that thing can say. So where was that? Wait, was that, was that a, it was a it was a web event last year where you were you were on the 18th hole and you hit like a hundred <laughs> yard cut. It was it was Bahamas or yeah second event at Bahamas because there's kind of like a little middle mound on the left and I aimed 85 yards left with down off my left and just cut this thing with the wind and it landed right edge of the fairway and just stuck before it stayed short of a bunker. So it was Your body hilarious. was literally like 45 degrees open there. Like it looked like, yeah. Mama, cause I remember it's comical yeah. it was making the rounds on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. This guy, I like this question. And this one, I actually want you to think about, we may have to pause a couple seconds out of this, uh, this video. So then let the nerves grow for what the question is. And I want an honest answer. What is the most angry you've ever gotten at Scott? And why was Scott wrong? <laughs> I saw that one. I like at that least one. something had better not pop up in your mind quick. If you had a quick answer, I'd be like, Shh. when you phoned him up to do this podcast, probably was made him the most angry. <laughs> oh, I've gotten pissed. Made you mad on the golf course on the well. I know. Well, I'm going to answer for you. Number five at second stage at Craig Ranch when I was telling you how to hit that bunker shot. Yeah, but the, it's still my fault though. Yeah, uh, I was it, right it's on still that. Still me. 
Yeah, it's still me though. Like I'll describe that one while you think. So Will yeah. Will got it greenside at second stage on number five at Craig Ranch, and he had the most basic bunker shot. It was 40 feet of straight downhill, three percent slope to the pin, and then it went back uphill, and the pin was three off the other side. And Will was wanting to just clip this spinny shot and fly it all the way down there. And I'm like, that is not the shot, dude. Just if you hit this thing fat, it will go- him run it. Yeah. And, and he literally clipped it a little bit clean and it went long. And I'm like, oh, God, no, we've already kind of squabbled a little bit before the shot. And now all of a sudden I was right. Luckily, he hit an amazing shot and got it up and down to save five. But all right. During my little monologue, did, uh, did anything pop in your head? No, because it's come on. I like the bit it's... when and why was Scott in the wrong? There must be a why. I just want to know when Scott was in the wrong. I think that's what whole of Twitter well, literally well, that's, is that's, <laughs> well, I know that's wrong. the problem, is he's always right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, no, but I mean, I, I like there's things that I like the example he just gave me or gave us about the hitting a shot out of the bunker, like. Look, I'm just not good enough at that point. Like, I don't know if I'm asking for him, if he's having to tell me advice on how to hit a bunker shot, I obviously have problems. So, <laughs> well, you were in you know, college still. You had entered QC. Yeah. You're making a yeah. bad choice, aren't you? Basically, every golfer's yeah, made bad like, choices. I'm obviously, isn't yeah. Okay. I yeah. know another time you were mad at me when we had the wrong yardage on nine at Craig Ranch, also. I talked cool. to you. It sounds like, was it the same day? It probably was. It was the same event. I, oh, I say this all day. Like, historically, I've caddied a lot for Will and, and Doc Redman and Maverick, or not Maverick, and, and Kramer Hickok and Flores. Like, I've, and I've my players always play better when I caddy for them. I did totally screw up second stage for Will one year. I was going through. That's when I was going through a bad divorce and had a lot of bad stuff going on, and I was cranky and it and I messed up. And this one. We had the sprinkler head was wrong for sure, but Will wanted to hit the correct club, and I talked him into the wrong one, and he hit it in the creek, and he was. Pissed. I at the, the I know I. I feel I yeah. feel like Will's being very polite. Well, yeah. No, I'm sorry, sorry Doctor Spogan. <laughs> I tried. All right. Well, yeah. Four. I like John Hughes' questions. Sorry, Will, yeah. say that again. Yeah, probably four. No, so probably four years of therapy has probably helped me forgot about it, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do a couple more here and and, uh, and and then we'll let this go. Is it, it, Any keys, you know, I, I always really do. I always try to talk about my own struggles with the putter, going back to my professional golf career, again, dead last in the field, the only U.S. Open I played in in total putts. Obviously, that's been the thing that you've worked an amazing amount on from your junior golf days through now. And your positive strokes game putter, 32 rounds in on the PGA Tour. That is so good it's unbelievable from what yeah, you've gone good. through and carly golfs asks any keys to the arm lock putter just keep that left shoulder rotating i mean i there's a lot of guys who do it differently out here you know kuchar uh he crouches over with a shorter putter um he tends to basically just hold off and push his putts bryson stacked over it and he's got no loft on it um all of them do the same thing though, where they basically just get that shoulder working around a little bit and wherever everybody I've talked to Webb Simpson, same thing, his biggest miss. And I have the same miss as well. And we put the same way is that the left shoulder just gets up high. And that's, it's just funny. Cause like I've picked everybody's brain, you know, Scott and I have known Bryson forever and I've asked him, you know, some of his keys and, you know, he's, when he's reading putts, he's speaking a different language, but, you know, just keep working that left side and just keep it moving. 
John Q's question there, Scott. I like this because it's two-parter. Um, <laughs> is the Ryder Cup a goal? Is that what you're saying? It's very small. You've sent me the smallest PDF ever. John Q's question there. Yes, Scott, is, read is that the one. Ryder Cup a goal? And best advice for a single-figure handicapper. And honestly, I replied to it. And, and the reason I like this guy's question is then he had a picture of the spinning top from time with a hashtag time. <laughs> I, I, and I honestly, I hadn't even thought about the Ryder Cup. And I know that's probably a pie in the sky, whatever. But as of right now, there's basically nobody else. If we shorten this thing down to a 12-month Ryder Cup window, like you're legitimately in that conversation. Yeah, I mean – it goes back to the last few years where I haven't changed anything that I've done. I haven't changed my mindset where I'm just trying to use every week to get better at whatever I'm doing. And that's led me, you know, and, and I know that it's boring to hear, you know, focus on the process, but it's taken me from Monday qualifiers on the corn Ferry tour to now being on the PGA tour. And I haven't had goals. I mean, I've had, you know, of course I've wanted to win or get on the PGA tour, but it's not like I'm thinking about that on the six T box at the players championship. And it's, you know, I've got to, you know, make birdie here, get some momentum going so I can get to the Ryder cup. Like, no, it's just, you know, I, last week I was kind of hitting some, some shut pulls. Like, yeah, I'm trying to hold hold off the face a little bit longer and rotate my chest. Like I've been doing this for two years and it's worked. So there's no reason to change what I'm doing. And you know, like I got asked the other day, said, have you looked at the Ryder Cup standings? I'm like, no. And they're like, do you realize you're like 30th? I'm like, I don't really care. Um, you know, it's like. <laughs> well, it would play eight, out, wouldn't it? It yeah, would play like, out. Like, I got to be honest, if I was like eighth and it'd be like, oh, well, you know, let's get in that top six and get an automatic spot. But, you know, it's the same thing with like the Olympics. They, I filled out all the stuff for the Olympics because I'm in the top 50. And. You know, there's a lot of guys that aren't going to play because it's in the middle of the schedule where, you know, if they go play, then they got to come back, play WGC, probably play Wyndham, and then they're straight in the playoffs. Like, there's probably going to be a lot of guys that don't play. And all of a sudden, I'm wow. kind of up there. Yeah, I'm kind of up there a little bit with the Americans. And, you know, if I work my way up, maybe, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, something might happen. But, again, how do I get there? It's the same thing. Just I've had the same practice routine for the last two years. I've had the same mindset when I've been playing. And I hate cliches of, you know, focus on the process, but it's worked for me. So yeah, I'm yeah. not going to change it. Well, there simply yeah. are some sports cliches that need to die. Some golf cliches eliminate one side of the course that need to die. But the cliche process handles everything. Phil Jackson, Pat Riley, I mean, Nick Saban, these guys, they've all got the word process in hundred foot letters in the gym. Like it, it, what else can you do? What's the alternative? Just focus on, focus on results. And that's one thing actually going back to junior golf for any junior golfers listening. One thing that drove me crazy with you. And <laughs> I was one, terrible at this. Uh, <laughs> well, if I get into this, I get into that. And I get now. I like, want you down there and just shoot it round under par and see what happens, man. Every conversation I had with you and, and your dad was if I do this, it'll get me an X. I'm like, well, let's just one, even like at the state am, I remember asking a few local juniors and collegians, like, why didn't you play? Like, well, I'd mess up my wagger if I didn't finish in the top three. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like who cares? Like, like here's a, here's a great example. I, sh I technically on paper probably should not have played Arnold Palmer because yeah, it's seven in a row. All I'm doing at that point, because leading up to those events, I played all the golf courses. I played them all. Bay Hill I hadn't played. I obviously have a responsibility to go play. Being a Wake Forest kid, they had given me a spot. 
I ended up finishing top 50, you know, got to pay my respects to, Arnold, to Mr. Palmer. So, but that being said, I could have taken the week off and gone and played players, kept my divisor one week lower, take another week off, go play match play, lock myself up for the masters. Like in theory, you can only it was, hurt yourself, really. I, I, yeah. In theory, it kind of was a stupid idea. Now that being said, I literally, the only, probably, well, not the only reason, but the major reason why I played was I knew I was going to have Josh and Troy there. And I had some, I didn't really play that great at WGC. It was very inconsistent and I wanted to get some work in. And, well, you know, what am I going to do when I go home? I'm going to play Wednesday through Sunday. So, what, you know, might as well go ahead and get paid for it if I, <laughs> and drive an hour and a half as opposed to flying three hours home and flying three hours back a week later. And ended up just kind of focusing on what we were working on and finished 10th and solidified me playing match play and basically the Masters. I mean, so it was just kind of, it just shows you like in Scott and I had talked about it forever. It's like, Oh, what about this? What about that? You know, if I finish top 12 here, it gets me into the ping invitational. And then if I play well there, it gets me into polo. And it's like, dude, just go play golf. Like, yeah. yeah I mean, like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, like I just, it's kind of funny. Cause I could have been thinking about, you know, Oh, this, you know, I got to have a good round today, go into Augusta or blah, blah, blah. And I think having the attitude of just being, you know, enjoying the moment and being aware I'm at and another opportunity to get better, it's paid off. How did you find Bay Hill? Did you enjoy it? Did you, did you enjoy the experience? I, yeah. I mean, that place is the special, history behind it? it's, yeah, the history behind it's incredible. I love playing hard golf courses and it's unique in that it's overseeded from T to green. And then on the greens, it is just baked out yeah cart path bermuda with grain blowing 20 miles an hour i mean it's it's brutal but i i love hard golf courses i love that challenge um so for me i that place very quickly turned into one of my one of my favorites yeah i was lucky enough to play it a few years back in nothing special but we just went and played it and loved it just the the whole clubhouse the whole experience the whole place was is just so good yeah, but, uh, I got I got two more for you here, Will. One because you just said you're going to pay your respects to uh, you're going to pay your respects to Arnold Palmer. I'm going to pay my respects to Doctor uh, Michael Larden because he has helped me so much in my life. He's uh, he's helped me get through the the double murder suicide with my sister, my divorce, and you know he's been everything to me for ten plus years now. You started working with him. It's been two or three years now. Five. Five. Yeah, I was going to say back to Wake. Yeah. yeah. You've been yeah. working with him for a long time. And, and Toski, the dream killed, asked how he works and has worked on his mental scorecard. And obviously the mental scorecard for everyone is just, it's just a black or white pass or fail thing. I got it from Dr. Larden. He, um, he uh, it's, it's just, you're trying to get it to 95%. Like talk your history through that and just, uh, you know, Dr. Larden in general. Yeah, I mean, mental scorecard, you know, I, I don't, I mean, I do keep it, I, but the reality is I just know standing over a shot if I'm not going through the correct process. I mean, the part, the part that I honestly have been most proud of over the past 12 weeks was actually happened on Sunday on 15. And granted, I still have to make a 10-footer for par, but I'm standing over a shot on 15. It's 14, actually. Standing over a shot, and I've got a little bit of wind into me off the left, pins in the back right corner, and I'm trying to hit a hard nine. And I'm literally standing over it and I feel a little gust in my face and I'm like, 
Yeah, like I don't, you know, this this thing could balloon on me and I could have 50 feet and then the wind just completely stops and then it take one more waggle, uh, go back down. And I literally didn't even back off. I just walked straight to my golf bag and grabbed an eight iron without even like standing behind the ball and like kind of thinking it through with the caddy. I literally just took a beeline for my eight iron and I was like, I obviously am not comfortable hitting this nine. Like I know I'm going to be comfortable hitting eight. I'm going to chip it underneath the wind. If it lands 35 feet short and runs out, great. If it lands closer up there, whatever. But I just thought that that was kind of a big turning point for me where I was kind of proud of myself over something that was completely irrelevant and nobody gives a you-know-what about. But it was just kind of funny how, like, I, you know, a year ago I probably would have just tried to nuke a nine. But, um, you know, Lar- Dr. Larden, the part that's been so fun is that he's been through the – downs with me but more importantly has been through the ups and I think to have a proper sports psychologist they need to be there for the ups to see where your headspace is at and that's something that a lot of guys when things are going great they tend to just say hey don't need your help I'm going to cut the cost and you know take to keep some more of my money I don't need your help but He's he's there not only for me as a player, but as a person. And I think that's something that, you know, I that's just invaluable. I, I you know, I it's kind of crazy to think that I've worked with them for five years because, I mean, it was going through college and making the decision of turning pro and, you know, struggling through my first year and a half of Monday qualifiers. And then all of a sudden, you know, really over the last year and a half, we haven't really talked a lot in depth about what's going on because it's more so of, or where he's kind of had unsolicited questions. I mean, he's had a couple where he's just been like, you know, Hey, how's this going? And of course I'm going to tell him like, it can't be any better. Like it's as good as it gets. Like, done the work. like, yeah, like there is no therapy needed here. I am enjoying every single minute of this. I could not be living a better life. And, you know, he would, he basically, I, th- I thought this was genius because it was also came from a Jim Lair idea where Jim Lair worked with, Dan Jansen and Dan Jansen hated the 10,000. He was an Olympic uh, skater. And Jim Lair had him write in his journal. He's a big time journaler. He said, he said, I want you to write on top of every single page. I love the 10,000. And he hated it. Absolutely hated it. Said it was brutal. Didn't like the, how long the, the race was. Didn't like training for it. And then of course his gold, or one of the last gold medals he won was the 10,000, but he basically asked me, he said, what has been, um, to kind of give you a little nugget was, uh, give me three words that have described over your past, you know, what, what you could say about your last year. And I was kind of proud of myself because I gave him an answer that I thought was pretty enlightened, but I said, <laughs> uh, persistent, patient. I need to go, but I've got it written down in my journal, but basically it was, I think it's, yeah, it was funny how all three words were all related, how it's like, I'm persistent in my attitude about how I'm playing golf. I'm patient in how I'm waiting out success. I'm not trying to rush anything. Oh, and the easy one was just gratitude. It was a that's yeah, stupid. Yeah. I, I don't know how I can not remember that, but it's I'm like, grateful. I'm also enjoying, yeah. Like I'm enjoying <laughs> yeah. the moment. So it was just kind of funny how, it's like, you know, that's all we talk about is when the highs are high or, you know, when you're in those highs, like you need to know what it feels like. You need to remember that. Cause obviously, you know, welcome to golf. This is not a perfect sport. There's going to be tougher days ahead, but at least I know the roadmap on how to get back to it. 
Yeah. Well, again, to the juniors and the collegians, what I really want you to take from that is notice Will said in my journal. I had a couple guys Monday qualify yesterday for the Honda, a couple guys qualify Monday into Louisiana, and I texted each one of them. What I always tell my good players after rounds like that, journal what your thoughts were, what your emotions were, what your inner conversation was. Just give you nothing long, just a paragraph or two, something so you can reflect on it, and then, wait for it, actually reflect on it. Read that thing every single day. I mean, I listened to that, that, that video, uh, uh, It Is Always Now, every single day for at least three years it's five minutes long surely you can write a, a paragraph or two and then actually reflect back on it i that's everything to me that the junior golfer and collegian need to hear from you is is journaling like the best part about it is, is you know we've talked about how our favorite books that we've ever read how you could just pick them up and they can mean something different to you at different times and you know, when I go back and look at the 2014 U.S. Junior and, you know, we journaled the crap out of that, I can go back and think through, you know, when I'm playing well, like, yeah, here are the similarities of how I was playing well. If I'm playing poorly, I'm doing this right now and I should be doing this. And it's just you have that roadmap on how to get back. Yeah, yeah, so, and on top of that, like, you know, the moments when things are going well, so, you know, when I've been asked before, it's like, well, how do you journal? It's like, I just write down whatever, I'm, whatever you know, it's just. Yeah, I mean, it it's, could be anything, but at least I have it with me. You know, I could talk through, you know, like I journaled down 14. Like, and when you look at it, you're going to see, if you look at Shot Tracker, you're going to see an eight iron short-sided long, long in the back, almost in the bunker. And you're like, what's there to remember about that? But it's like, I will remember, like, that was a maturing moment for me because yeah, I would have yeah. just tried to nuke a nine iron maybe not even a year ago. And I'm just grabbing an eight and trying to land it in the middle and, it's Sunday at the players. Greens are firm and fast as hell and just barely rolls off the back. But I still did, you know, I did what I was supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. And then final thought then, um, the Masters. You, you you didn't play the Masters in November, did you, I don't think? No. So you, you're playing the Masters in however many days it is. Excited? Yeah, I mean, I'm not in technically yet. I like my odds. What are you, 40? Yeah, <laughs> I do as well. Yeah. 45th right now, is that right? 43rd. 43rd in the world, top 50 gets in after we've got three more events. Two. Two? Oh. Two more events. But your thoughts are at it. I mean, you must, it, it's, it would be amazing and will be amazing, I'm sure. You yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's obviously, I think that would probably be the one kind of uh, moment where I pinch myself a little bit. Yeah. It would be getting there. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I think I've got a mindset and an attitude that I just know I'll be able to appreciate it. It won't weigh on me. I think it's just something that where it's like, it's like, dude, a year ago, you were excited about finishing 25th at Sarasota in the Corn Ferry event. And now all of a sudden yeah. you're playing in the, you know, in the hopefully masters. playing in the masters or yeah. I'm pissed I'm walking off of 18 at Bay Hill and finish top 10, but I'm pissed I've made a, you know, finished double bogey or whatever. It's like, yeah, yeah. You're still here. I mean, you know. Well, I think that was the text I sent you after Phoenix. I was like, would you have believed a year ago that you would go to Phoenix, make 150000 and be mad? Because you yeah. in the final yeah. round or whatever it was. I'm like, again, back yeah. to that gratitude. I'm like, dude, you just made one hundred fifty, and you and you and I bet you're actually mad right now. Yeah, but I mean, that's... I, that's, I will say, I noticed you didn't reply to that tweet, which also lets me know sometimes when I may take it a little bit too far. <laughs> no, that, that was super, that was Super Bowl Sunday coming off of week three. I needed a glass 
the line. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, but I mean, it, it's part of the. It goes back to the same thing that we talked about was, you know, when it comes to goals and whatnot, it's just keep on doing what we're doing, and the fact that we're there, just enjoy the hell out of it. Absolutely, good stuff. Well, there you go. Thank you very much for your time, Will. As always, good luck for the rest of the year. I don't think you need it. Just keep trending the way you're going. Thanks for everyone who's listening, and we'll chat to you in the next podcast. <laughs>